Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. to my youth, the Cheech and Chong up in smoke, driving along the motorway in a, in a pickup truck made of uh, reconstituted marijuana and it backfired and caught fire and everybody that drove behind them had a really good time. Cheech and Chong, I think that might have been in Ferris Bueller's day off too, that track from memory, Lowrider, I do like that. Uh, Mark Stafford a little bit earlier than normal today. It always freaks me out when the little uh, station T says, More, nothing gets past Smithy and it's me. And uh, I'm wearing the gloves today. Smithy, of course, on World Cup cricket duty, but we will be catching up with uh, the great man Smithy just after 11 o'clock. Um, New Zealand are playing today. Yes, they are. They're playing India and we will be taking ball-by-ball ball coverage from 1.25, we will be joining our commentary team. Um, and just before that, at 1, we'll catch up with Dan McCarty and whoever he's got assisting him today. Uh, of course, Garth Galloway will be down in Christchurch, Daniel in Wellington. They usually have a former uh, White Fern with them as well, so we'll catch up with them. And It's a really important game. Losing that game, that first game in the World Cup, has made every game important. Like you always say, must win. Well, they all must wins. Um I was doing my maths yesterday. You might sneak in to the top four with two losses. Um, you will you will get in uh, with one, but uh, I, you just can't afford to drop another one. Also coming up today, very shortly, we're going to be crossing to the great man, the round ball man. He knows 4,000 times more about uh, soccer football than me, Ricardo Ball. He is our football expert and our extra time host. He is standing by and we'll have a chat to uh, football with him. Our panel today is James Regan from News Hub and a former News Hubber, Sam Ackerman, a couple of massive leaguies. I'll just say, I think I'll just say uh, rugby league and then I'll turn my mic off for 10 minutes and they can just go to town. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking to them at about 20 past 10. Um, also a chat, uh, Logan's going to have a chat with uh, Portia Woodman. Um, he chatted to her earlier today. Um, 
and that'll be at about 11.30 as well. Stumped by Staffy. I didn't really get a chance last week to answer a question, so I'm okay with that, Logan. <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't. And uh, last uh, yesterday, neither did uh, Ricardo, actually. He oh. fumbled all his stumping chances. So today, it's actually jackpotted up to $100 TAB vouchers. Well, I didn't even get a crack last week because the guy just went bang, 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 I think, from memory. Anyway, $100 TAB voucher and sleep drops up for grabs. Oh, Temper beds and sleep drops, you're just going to be in seventh heaven. Uh, Sam Phillips, he's Sydney Morning Herald writer on the NBL. We'll be talking to him just after 12 o'clock. MJ Hurley, what a name. Guess the sport, MJ Hurley. That's right, NFL. Just, I wonder if he's a past player. He should be. He should be. Uh, we're going to let you know what our tips are or what our pacing for purpose and our greyhound uh, bets for charity are as well as we move our way, weave our way through the morning. But it is time to head over to our football, our soccer football guru. Champions League's on, the Phoenix are won, the All-Whites have been named. Uh, Ricardo, there's a lot going on in your soccer space at the moment. Yeah, mate. Yeah, there's there's plenty. Oh, there always is. Those staff, the biggest mm. sport in the world. There's always something happening uh, in in football, no matter where you look. Yeah, I, I looked at the scores in the Champions League uh, about 20 minutes ago, and both of them were nil all. But Man City went into the second leg with a with a five nil drubbing away from home. Did they put out their top team? They haven't. Uh, they have definitely rested a few. But then that said, I mean, their second team's pretty good. Uh, you know, if you if you look at things, they have um, given a kid, uh, Egan Riley, a go at right back. So they're, they're blooding him. Zinchenko's not their first choice left back either, but he's playing. And uh, then, you know, you've got guys like well, Phil Foden's on, uh, Raheem Sterling's on, uh, Gabriel Jesus, the Brazilian international. He's not first choice. He's in the team. I think that gives you some some sort of idea of uh, the depth. And uh, at halftime, they, they made another change too. There's another kid, James McAtee, one of their academy kids, has come on for Phil Foden. So nil all, uh, five minutes into the second half. But, I mean, yeah, I, you, Sporting Lisbon, we're never going to turn up to uh, the Eddie Haddon and win 6-0, were they? So I, I think this result was beyond doubt. And, uh, you know, for City, it's a great opportunity for them to give some kids some experience to rest the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and and give him some time. And uh, and their fullbacks, their first-choice fullbacks as well, Kyle Walker and uh, Juan Cancelo. So, uh, Jao Cancelo, I should say. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, really... Uh, their, their real focus this season is to win the Champions League and the way it's turned out, uh, they can cruise it at the moment and they can just focus on uh, increasing that gap over Liverpool in the Premier League and making sure they hold on to that title. You talked about depth there in English Premier League sides and we always look at depth of teams in our Super Rugby and in the NRL. Um, other teams that are sort of south of mid-table and sort of right down the bottom, have they got a really good 11 and then they battle, uh, as opposed to a Man City who, who probably have two 11s? Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a fair, fair assumption. Um, you know, there are, there are some teams that, with their best 11 on the park, can go toe-to-toe with a Man City or a Liverpool, but you take two or three players out of that 11 for injuries or suspensions, etc., uh, and, you know, they do uh, they do struggle. Um, you know, like, for example, Southampton have been going great guns of late, but you take James Ward-Prowse out of the middle of the park for them, and everything goes through him. He pulls mm. all the strings, um, and if he's not there, then they lack creativity. So you, you get things like that. They don't have another James Ward-Prowse that can come in and do the job. Um, Paris Saint-Germain went into the second leg they were leading 1-0 off the first match they're up 1-0 in this one so it looks like a nice little win for them but the good win overnight was um, the Phoenix mate and they're into the six 
Yeah, they're, they're top six, mate. And, and not only are they top six, but they are top six uh, with change. They have got three games in hand over Sydney FC, who are the team in seventh. Um, so I know there's an argument to say, you know, you'd rather have the points than the games in hand, uh, but they haven't been in that position. Um, I mean, and it might bite them a little bit because they are going to have to go on a run between now and the end of the regular season, which is supposed to be the end of April, where they're going to have to play uh, basically two games a week um, to fit all their fixtures in. So, And they're going to have to deal with losing some players to the All-Whites at one, uh, you know, sort of later on this month as well. So there's no guarantee that they're going to get three points from every game in hand, but the, the fact remains that they have games in hand they should pick up a few points from those and and extend their lead over the team in seventh and hopefully cement their place in the top six uh the team immediately above them macarthur they've got two games in hand on them and they're only a point ahead so they could even you know sort of sneak up as high as fourth and just looking at what they've got coming up they've got brisbane raw next they are bottom of the table then they have the newcastle jets the team they've just beaten and then they have the Perth Glory who are second to last on the table so mate there's nine points there and then they will probably start losing players and all whites and things like that but you'd much rather get those points that you need early and then hold on with your fingernails yeah totally totally uh and i mean that's going to be the interesting thing because they've got a game this weekend and then i think they will start losing some players to the all whites because uh, that quick the, the yeah the problem that uh that Danny Hay and the All-Whites have is that to be able to get in a proper Oceania qualifying tournament because of COVID and the way that's affected things they actually have to start the qualifying before the official FIFA window opens so a lot of the players out of Europe won't be there for the first two games against Papua New Guinea and Fiji Uh, so Danny Hay has obviously been talking to lots of clubs doing lots of work and, uh, you know, sort of extending those relationships with those clubs so that he can big steal and borrow players beforehand. And, you know, an, an example of that is that uh, from the Phoenix, he is going to take uh, a, a bunch of players uh, early and then he's going to send them back after the first two games. And then another player, Tim Payne, who he obviously sees as very important for his strongest team, is going to come a little bit later and will be part of that team as they run into the finals. So the All Whites team ha- has been named. Um, has he got free reign to pick whoever he wants? Has he got free release from um, from all the clubs? Because we know the All Whites team come from all corners of the globe. Well, that's uh, no, he doesn't. Um, effectively, I mean, for for game three of the group stage semi final final, yes, but for those first two group games, no. Uh, and that's why what he's done is he's named a squad of thirty. And the way that these uh, game days work is you can have as big a squad as you like there, but you have to name a 23-man squad for your match day. So he can he can have an extended squad of 30 and then just name each match day a 23. So, for example, um, we've got guys like uh, Stefan Marinovic, um, Jamie Searle, uh, Libby Kakache, uh, Tim Payne, uh, Nando, uh, Pinyaka, Bill Tui Loma, uh, Joe Bell, uh, Chris Wood, uh, Eli- Elijah Just, who would be in the top team. Well, those guys are joining from March 19 onwards, and so they won't be available for the first two games. But then you do have guys who have come in, like Ollie Sale from the Phoenix, uh, Dane Ingham, who's part of the Newcastle Jets squad, um, Dalton Wilkins, who's playing up at Codling in, in Denmark, uh, Clayton Lewis from the Phoenix as well, Ben Old from the Knicks, um, Costa Barbarousas. Those guys are coming in early before the international window starts and then leaving on March the 22nd. 
So who are the two, who, who are the two games that we've got, and are they winnable when we don't have the full complement available? Uh, well, the first one I think definitely uh, that's against PNG Papua New Guinea. They are, right. they are getting better. They're getting good coaching. They're getting um, you know FIFA putting resources in there, but you uh, you know from a uh, club point of view, they don't really have the competition, and New Zealand should we should be able to beat them regardless. The second game though is Fiji, and of course, Fiji are one of the better teams running around in Oceania. They'll have Roy Krishna as who's their captain up front. Uh, they've got about three players who play in uh, in and around the A League, so sort of feeder teams to the A League, um, and they've got a couple of players uh, that are also playing sort of uh, Oceania Champions League at other clubs in, in Oceania, out of like Vanuatu and, and the Solomons. So. They'll probably be, uh, I think, uh, the the toughest of the two first two games. Um, but I would still say we've got enough to get past them. Brilliant. Hey, Ricardo, always good to catch up with you, buddy. Thanks for jumping in. No drama at all, staff. Have a good show. Cheers, mate. And I'm enjoying the Man United uh, scarves behind you there. They look magnificent. Look at that. USA Supporters Club, that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that one's from the 77 Cup final. So there you go. Wowee. There you go. Ricardo Ball, our football expert here on SCNZ and host of Extra Time and hosts all of our Super Rugby shows as well. He's in dog speed. He's going to be involved in netball. There's nothing that man can't do. There's nothing. Actually, there is something he can't do. He can't shave. Um, he can't shave. He's got the biggest, bushiest beard known to mankind. Uh, we are going to take a break. Feel free to text us at any time you like. The Temper Beard Post text machine is your voice into us, double eight double three. Excuse me, avail yourself of that. We have the panel coming up next, uh, James Regan and Sammy Ackerman. That is next. Of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. Do try it. I do like the Dilma peppermint tea myself. A bit of uh, a bit of verse to a peppermint tea of an afternoon, of an evening. The old peppermint tea. That's my uh, tea of choice. Uh, joining us on the panel, uh, let's go one at a time. Let's go, James Regan from Newstab. G'day, James. Hello, mate. How are you? All good? Oh, look, I, I'm very well. Um, I need to know, first of all, we're going to talk some rugby league, and before I bring in Sam, I need to know, uh, are you absolutely, unashamedly a one NRL team supporter? Absolutely. I, I think you, you have to be. Come <laughs> on, really, if you're a proper if you're a proper fan. And I'm, uh, yeah, Kiwi through and through. I'll have to go to Warriors on this one, absolutely. Righto. Sammy Ackerman, former News Hub guy, just, he's been a good bloke for a number of years. I think he still is. I th- I'm pretty sure Ackerman's still a good bloke. Sam, welcome in. I wouldn't put money on it. Steph, good morning, <laughs> mate. Good to speak to you and uh, nice to hear your voice again, Jimmy. Pleasantries amongst the crew. I like that. Um, Warriors as well. I said to um, Logan this morning, I'm pretty sure I always saw Sam Ackerman and Mercedes at, at the Warriors games, and I know Mercedes is a, is a big Warriors fan. Yourself, Sam? You know, I've, I've, James before was spoken like an absolute millennial who uh, who didn't uh, didn't experience rugby league prior to the Warriors. So yes. those of us who, who have a long enough memory have affiliations and associations uh, with other teams. So I grew up um, in the uh, Graham Lowe era, and I kind of have Graham Lowe and the Matthew Ridges and the Daryl Williams and the uh, Tony and Kevin Edos of this world to thank for 
falling in love with rugby league. So I've got uh, an affinity for Manly, uh, but certainly uh, the Warriors. Uh, if, if, you're, if you could tell me I can watch one team for the season, um, it would be the Warriors, absolutely. You mirror me. You exactly mirror me. Manly before the Warriors, and then the Warriors came on, and I've had an arm wrestle ever since. Um, we've had a big chat on breakfast this morning with the crew, with uh, Kempi in particular, just holding a gun to my head and saying, tell me who your top eight is. So we sort of need to know top eights, but I guess wider... We always say, can the Warriors make the eight? I feel like they're going to be somewhere eight to 12, so I'm still saying they're a chance. Uh, Sam, what, what, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'd go seven to 15. Um, <laughs> the spread's pretty even. I, honestly, the, the have and the have-nots in um, the NRL, for, this is easy with the, uh, of course, you know, the brave predictions that come at the start of a season. But if I, you look at last year compared to, uh, to this year, I think we'll see some movement. But the, the points differentials, the team that came 6th or 7th, the Knights, had a 143 negative points differential. And all the teams above them had 100 plus, or in the case of the Storm, almost 1,000 points differential <laughs> racing off ahead. So the teams that were below on the ladder were getting whooped on quite a regular basis. So um, I see that the, the real four or five top teams are there locked in and everybody else is a little bit of a lolly scramble and that could work really well uh, in the Warriors' favour. We're talking a couple of years into the COVID era now where they are uh, used to being based in the team. Hell, half the team are Australian or being Australian-based for virtually their entire careers. Anyway, now is a settled feeling to it. Um, it's just whether this team has got the uh, the goods in certain areas to push on. And just I suppose it's that the fortitude of 26 weeks, not just the ability to be strong, but the actual uh, backing it up and, and playing on a regular basis. When they lose, losing by a bit, not getting uh, the uh, their pants pulled down. But if they do lose, not getting demoralised by it. That's the key for the Warriors to get through. Now, James, I know you've done a few stories on the Warriors. You've had the microscope above them. Uh, it always seems to be, when you're looking season long, the big thing is depth. Do the Warriors have the depth to push to the eight? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think a lot of these guys are going to be tested a lot this year, um, particularly a few of the younger guys who don't have that much NRL experience. And Reese Walsh and, and Chanel Harris-DeVita, the likes of those are included mm. in that, who definitely have the talent, definitely have the talent. But as Sam says, whether you can go 26 weeks um, and really keep at it is, is another thing. And that's probably a mentality thing rather than, than anything else if you've got the kind of the top two inches, as they say. But yeah, I'd have to agree with Sam as well that the the bottom eight teams are probably all going to be scrambling and it's going to be pretty tight, but the top four, again, will be will be done and dusted. And, and, yeah, it'll just be between the other teams whether they can get a good run of games to start with. I think the Warriors have got a pretty good start. They're facing teams who, who missed the eight last year. So if they can get a good few points on the board, and then I think they play the Roosters. So if they can go into that Roosters game with a good few points and not, um, not get battered in that Roosters game, I think that'll be a good indication of where this team will be at. I'm, I'm looking for a bit of a wild card from you both, maybe a surprise package that might just pop its head up. Like everyone's saying Melbourne, Penrith, Manly, Roosters. Most people are saying Parramatta. A majority are also saying South. So that's sort of six. And then we get in amongst the likes of the Warriors, uh, Brisbane, Gold Coast, um, even the Bulldogs. You know, we, we, you, I'm not quite sure about them. Who's, who's one that isn't being conversed about? But sort of mid-season might be saying that they're a top eight contender. James, who would you identify as, as a potential surprise packet? 
Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to pick because of the, I guess, the divide in the competition, who's ready to make that jump. I think the Sharks have done really well in the off-season. I think Craig Fitzgibbon's a really good pick-up for them, even though he's not going to be there for the first game because of COVID um, isolations. But Dalvin Hooken is a really good pick-up for them. He's got great experience. And Nico Hines as well from the Storm, who are two really good pick-ups. So if I had to pick one to who's kind of got it on paper, it would, it would would probably be the Sharks at this stage. I hope you weren't going to pick the Sharks, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, battle, they're battle hardened um, and uh, you know, a lot of proven winners within their team. So Jimmy makes some fair points. But I, the team that I will be watching with the most interest and I think has the most scope for improvement is the Bulldogs because they've had uh, some great pickups um, along the way too. They're going to look entirely different than how they are. But there's still some just such raw players and you're not quite sure exactly where they're going to go or how they're going to better run like Jake Everillo in the halves. He's, he's got so much to go, but they've got, you know, picked up, I mentioned Ed O'Carr and uh, Matt Burton, a lot of guys that can be, you can look at and go, they're pretty talented crew like Tavita Pangai Jr. There's a lot of people who I, I will say that can make a difference for the dogs, but they have a, they have a very low scope to work from. So them, the Knights, I'm really ex- in- interested in seeing how they go the first four or five weeks of the season because uh, it would be great to see somebody put their hand up and if it's not going to be the Warriors, I think the uh, the Bulldogs, Sharks, they, they fit in that zone. Yeah, and, and the thing is we can easily run the form guide through established players and the ones you guys have been reeling off. But is there a Reese Walsh who just burst onto the scene and became a force to be reckoned with? It, it's really hard to identify which ones are going to make it. Is it more likely to come through how Reese Walsh developed, just flogged off Brisbane turned up in the Warriors, or is it more likely that someone through the Penrith system or the Bulldogs system, the the ones with good academies and youth programs, there's probably a sleeping giant that's 20 years old that we haven't heard much about out there, James. Yeah, definitely. I think Reese Walsh was definitely a bit of an anomaly. He kind of got given the chance and he definitely took it. So those systems, the Penrith and and maybe the Bulldogs in a few years, definitely they're the way to go if you want to kind of go for proven success but there's always there's always a couple of players that kind of take the season by storm and we had we had it last year with Reese and, and Walker from the Roosters but yeah I don't know probably I think we will see a couple of good guys from the Bulldogs they seem to be moving in the right direction but it's so hard to, to tell because you you have to have the talent but you have to have the, the kind of now to be able to take the opportunity as well. Yeah brilliant. Sammy um, Manly just just in your words, because I, I am a big Manly uh, fan as well, how much is their performance influenced by Tommy Trevojevic playing or not? Massively. I mean, it, the, the stats show he is... He has the same influence on the Manly team that uh, in their heyday Andrew Johns had on the Knights and, and Thurston had with the Cowboys. Percentage-wise, when they're not there, they don't get those same results. And, and, uh, and the reason that uh, Trevojevic, uh, sorry, the Manly haven't, haven't gone through with some massive seasons, and we're talking uh, grand final and, and dominance uh, in recent years, is because Trevojevic picks up a, a sizable or a reasonable in- injury most years, it seems, at the moment. With I mean, he, he looks all skin and bone, and it's amazing that he plays at the f- top flight to the level he does. So he is, he is absolutely huge. That said, I feel there is a little more... Uh, depth through the rest of the team now um, that they're all at a, at, a, at a reasonable level without a whole lot of um, set the world on fire type players but 
there's, there's enough there to be excited, but Travojevic is, um, is just a, a head and shoulders player. He's, he's a game changer. And it, what you mentioned before about um, Reese Walsh, one of the most pivotal things to me in rugby leagues, three words, second year syndrome. It mm. is massive. You watch anyone who breaks onto the scene, their ability, their career is defined, for me, by how they handle that second season. Reese Walsh is, is, using Jimmy's words, and normally he's, he's a phenomenon, he is also now known. He is on everybody's radar. Everybody's seen enough of him to see where his, where his strengths are, where his weaknesses are, how to play to him. Like, okay, should we just kick when we're playing the Warriors? Should we just kick into touch? Should we take out that running game? What do we do? And, every, and he will be under a different form of pressure, uh, not to mention you know, pressure through you know, family. He's got a, a young family there. Obviously, contract talks coming up. Is he going to go to the Dolphins? Is he going to go to the Broncos? Will he stay at the Warriors? It's been discussed in pretty high places, let alone origin talk again. Uh, so it's, I, I'm really curious to see how guys like him and, and Walker from the Roosters and these guys who have had a, a good start to their career, how they back this up in the second-year syndrome. Brilliant. Sam Ackerman, James Regan, we'll get you to hold on there. We want to chat a little bit to you about the Cricket World Cup that's on our shores at the moment. But just in the interim, we're going to catch up with some news with Emma. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try. Like that. Do try. Do try. Um, James Regan and Sam Ackerman joining us on the panel today. We've thrashed out some league. I wanted to talk to you about you guys about the cricket, actually. The ICC Women's World Cup is being played in New Zealand at the moment. Uh, James, uh, is it appointment viewing for you? Uh, is it? Are you watching it? Are you enjoying it? Definitely, definitely watching and enjoying it. And I think that's because the game, or a lot of the games we've had, have been so close at the end. And the standard has been great as well. But some of the games we've seen, obviously, that New Zealand West Indies one to start with was, was just insane. And New Zealand will be kicking themselves that they did lose that. But there's been a couple of others as well. The Aussie England game has been really good. And the England West Indies um, as well just recently. So they've been really tight. And I think it's, overall, it's just such a shame that we can't get in there and get more fans in there because the finishes to these games would, would just be electric if there was a crowd in. But yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I really am getting behind New Zealand as well and hoping that they're able to get a good run. And yeah, tough game uh, for them today as well. Uh, Sam Ackerman, um, how important, well, not necessarily how important, but how impactful would it be for uh, women's sport, f- for the young girls that are aspiring to be top sports people in New Zealand? The fact we have a World Cup, we have the best cricketers in the world in New Zealand and New Zealand competing. Uh, let's not put the heat on them to actually win it, but to go a long, long way. How, how important is it for the New Zealand women's cricket team to go a long way in this tournament for the youth of the, of the country? Well, and I want to say this with the um, utmost respect. I'm not referring to cricket or women's cricket as a minority specifically, but it's not the most reported on, most spoken about, most followed series as like the All Blacks, um, so the Warriors, the Black Caps, that type of thing. They fight for their column inches. They fight for attention and the fight to get that sport, that level of respect and understanding throughout the country for whatever reasons. They've gone through a bit of a lull in a few years, but we know, we remember, and the reason people talk about them still, respectfully, that dates back to 2000, when they did win the World Cup, and we suddenly got this, we had these raft of incredible players. Now, we still have these players. The success hasn't been there, and I think you look at 
Zoe Sadowski Senate, what someone like uh, Dame Valerie did for shot put at athletics and giving people the opportunity to get excited about um, your own sport and want to achieve and know, well, it's not just those same basic food groups here. We can go and do what we like. I think it's got huge potential. It's wonderful it's on these shores. And as Jimmy says, a shame we can't get people there to, as many people there as we want to experience it along the way. But I think uh, that New Zealand losing that first game was fantastic for the tournament because it's given so much more emphasis and interest in what's going on now than had it just been like a, a lay down in the West Indies are adding a bit of fun. New Zealand's still in a strong position to go on. Taking on uh, India today is, is massive. So I, I, I think that the comps are in a, in a healthy spot, uh, and it's important that it keeps getting um, daylight and exposure so people can get that opportunity to be inspired by our Susie Bates, our Amelia Kurz, our Amy Sathaway, so a lot of them, because uh, we've got some phenomenal athletes in the, in the team. Uh, and there are some wonderful ones from overseas here um, showing off their skills as well. It's not appointment viewing for me at this stage. I'm picking and choosing my games, uh, but I am enjoying what I've seen. Uh, James Regan, working for New Sub. What what's the feedback you're getting from um, like your viewers? You, you write good stories on your websites. Is there interaction around this Women's World Cup with the stories that you're providing? Yeah, yeah, I think there has been. Especially people want to know what's happening. So our live updates, I think, have been really good because people are definitely interested. It's a New Zealand team on home shores competing at a World Cup, and I think you say that to people, and automatically a lot of people are, are interested. So they've got some good characters in their, in their team as well. Sam mentioned a few there. and They've got good personalities and good cricketers as well who can beat anyone on their days, this team. So there has been a lot of interest. I think it will ramp up as the tournament goes on, but also, as Sam mentioned, losing that first game in the way they did certainly perked a lot of interest among people because they thought, oh, wow, we, you know, New Zealand on a shoe-in by any stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of good teams and a lot of good cricket to be played in this tournament. So, yeah, it, it is doing well. Um, I think the more New Zealand can go on, obviously, that'll help because people love that. But, yeah, only time will tell, I guess, and when we look back and see if this tournament's been a success or not. I want to ask both of you about the MANCAD because it's come out, I think, in the last 24 hours that um, the ICC have said it's actually, you're allowed to do it. It's, it's always been frowned. It's been a bit, little bit of a grey area, but they're actually saying you can MANCAD. Now Stuart Broad's come out and said, well, I'm still not going to do it. I just don't think it's in the spirit. Um, Sam Ackerman, what, what's your thoughts on the MANCAD? Personally, I quite like it. I, I quite like if it's in there. It's another component. Well, I've got. I, how many times did you threaten to do it or pretend to do it as a as a junior playing cricket? You'd see some guy waltzing at a crease. You'd go, "Come on, give me a bit, give me a bit more respect than that." I, 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 the thing. How many sports in the world say it's allowed, but it's just a bit unfair? It's either allowed or it's not. I mean, it was it was just insane that they that you could do it, but just tisk if you did. It's just against the spirit. It's either a rule or it's not. So I think it's no problem going what it is, and I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. I'm I'm all for it. I'm, there's way more rules changes I'm concerned about or, or I think will make a, a bigger difference you know you're not allowed to use saliva anymore saliva is now officially banned you can't lick the ball to give it a little shine and you know <laughs> making sure no one used those sugary sweets good luck enforcing that one that's going to take just as, like, generations of uh, of people getting used to it and, and name one kid who hasn't been throwing the ball at some point and just tried to be like their uh, favourite cricketer and just give it a little lick of the finger and, and shine the ball ready to pass on to the bowler that one's a big deal and you know when the ball's hitting the air now and you get caught if you, if you crossed unless it's the end of the over 
the new batsman comes and goes back to the uh, to the facing end. It's, it's a new rule as well. I think that's a massive one because at the tail end, when you've got the tail end of there, you know if you hoik it up and cross, you can still get the uh, the good batsman back on strike and sacrifice your wicket to get him down there. Can't do that anymore. I reckon those are bigger changes than Mad Cat. Yeah, that's a monster. That's a mon- I was a rampant Mad Catter in indoor cricket because it was at, <laughs> you're actually encouraged to do it in there. Uh, James, uh, we're talking about the rules of cricket. I'm not a fan of... Um, leg buys going against the bowler because he's beaten the batsman and then they get rewarded with runs for a batsman that couldn't hit it. Um, are there any cricket rules that irk you? I don't know if they irk me. I, I agree with that one because that's just one of those rules. There are so many in cricket that you just look at and you go, what What on earth is going on? <laughs> at a time when court, especially cricket and Test cricket in particular are just wrestling for eyeballs and wrestling for viewers. I think something like bringing the Mad Cat in is is great because it, it catches people's attention. And I think if you're a player, particularly a bowler, and you don't have a go if someone, you know, the batsman's trying to, trying to steal a few more inches, then that's on you. Uh, all power to the bowler, I reckon, when, when the bats are as big as they are and the scores are as big as they are. But players, players should get behind it as well. Just, just have a go. Just why not? Uh, and it'll, it'll shut a, a, shut a few people up. I reckon if they, if they uh, do it a few more times. So I'm all for it. And the big question is: stay in your crease. Yeah. Stay in your crease. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stay in your crease. <laughs> I want to know. That's what my coach used to say to me. <laughs> yeah, I want to know who's going to be the first polar to try it because I'm going and saying Neil Wagner. Yeah, yeah, Wags isn't a bad shout. I think after, even though he's said it, I, I wouldn't put it past you at Broad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the um, double you know, bluff. Given, given his history, I, I reckon that's exactly what he's done. He's gone for the bluff because now the batsman knows uh, Broad is not going to have a go here, and then he, he's going to do it. So I'd, I'd go with Stuart Broad actually, even though he said it. What about you, Sam? Anyone in Canary Yellow? I love that Hey boys we've got a scoot Thanks so much for joining us today on the Dilma uh, What was it? The Expertise panel Uh, Sam Ackerman, James Regan, lovely to have you here chaps See you mate There they are Sam and James, really appreciate their time We'll be back in just a moment This is Mornings with Ian Smith On SENZ The loveracing.nz update your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. I think I'm joined by SENZ's biggest racing fan, Louis Herman Watt. Louis? This is weird. This is where in identical spots an hour apart, but I am... I know, you're in my seat, I'm in yours. Inverted. (laughs) Inverted, mate. Um, Breaking news, track measurement of penetrometer is changing. Well, the pentrometer readings stay the same, but what we're doing is NZTR has just announced, and we're going to interview Tim Lambert on the Mail Run on Saturday morning to explain it in more depth. But in very short, and the essence is our track rating system from early April will be identical to Australia. So that means that we're getting rid of deads and slows. The heavies stay, and it's going to be like this. Firm, one, two, firm, good three, good four, and then it's not a dead, it's a soft five, a soft six, a soft seven, heavy eight, heavy nine, heavy ten, heavy ten. And anyone that's punted or watched racing that's in Australia... That's what it used to be here. That's what it used to be here. They've seen the light. 
um, I guess the question for everyone is what about the, the track's going to be in good enough condition that we can even use the rating system? Mm. Can we race? And that's what I'll ask Tim Lambert on Saturday on the mail run because it's all very good. And I think this makes complete sense to go to this rating system. But we've got work that needs to be done on infrastructure, personnel, and I, I know that they're doing it, but we just want to start to see a little bit of results. And we do have to give them time, be patient, as I keep saying to Smithy um, Staffy. Also, just very quickly, Saturday, the Newmarket Handicap at Flemington. We've got Rockin' Horse for Little Avondale Stud. We've got Little Avondale Stud's bred Pur and Canto, Lost and Running, who will be favourite, and Levante for Ken and Bev Calso, lining up in one of the most famous sprint races in Australasia. I'm fired up. Louis fired up. And he's going to go home now because he's put in a huge shift today. Thank you, Louis Herman Watt. That is brought to you by Love Racing. And we head to the TAB now. Um, our favourite correspondent for the TAB, Pip Morris, joins us. G'day, Pip. Good morning, Steffi. How are you? Very well. Don't tell the others I said that, please. Please don't tell the others. Um, we've, we've got about a minute. We've got about a minute. Um, what are you looking forward to most this week? Oh, you know me, NRL, Penrith Panthers are playing um, Manly tonight. And whilst I'll probably have to sit there and watch Manly run circles around them without Nathan Cleary on the field, I'll still be cheering home the Panthers. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And look, on the NRL too, Staffy, someone's picking that this might be a low-scoring round for the first eight, for all eight games, $500 on under 50.5 total points. So, oh, I'm a little bit surprised about that when we've got the Storm playing the Tigers and et cetera. But you never know with that rain around. There's also been a little multi placed on the Storm to win and the Eels to win $4,860 on them to return $8,436. Magic. I've got a stat for you. I've got a stat for you. In the last decade, the first round, the total has gone under the TAB line 78% of the time. There's a stat for you. Go Go the under. Might be a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Good on you, Pip. Thanks for jumping in. No worries, Kathy. Have a good day. There she is, Pip Morris from the TAB. Download the app or go on the website, tab.co.nz. Get into the punter's lounge. That's where all the good oil is for your bonuses. Gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, and sitting in for Smithy, we've just gone 11 o'clock. We're here till 1.30 or 1.25 when we'll hand over to Daniel McCarty and crew for our ball-by-ball commentary here on SENZ. And also doing ball-by-ball commentary for Sky Television is the usual host. It's a nice, comfortable time of the day. Ian Smith, welcome in. Stockley. Ah, Steffi, pleasure to talk to you on uh, my slot. And, I mean, you just... Hand in gloves, mate, just taken over. <laughs> just taken over. It's a coup. It's a coup. I quite like this time slot. I quite like the three hours, Smithy. Good on you, boy. Uh, mate, we are, uh, look, I'm really enjoying this Women's World Cup cricket, and I'll be honest, I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would. I'm really engaged with the games that New Zealand aren't playing, uh, and I didn't think I would. That game yesterday was just yet another. We've had amazing finishes. We've had high skill level. Has it surprised you? Not really. Um, I'd, I'd sort of been following quite a knowing full well that this World Cup was coming up. I'd, I'd kind of been following women's cricket a bit more closely than I had prior to, uh, you know, uh, the last couple of years because uh, you know, they were demanding, their, their skills and that were demanding more attention from, from people that love cricket and, and commentate cricket. So I had been, um, but I, I've, I've been absolutely fascinated by this tournament so far. The skill levels um, are superb. Uh, the intent, the work they put in, uh, it's, it's, it's no less than what um, the men do at the same level. It's just, 
you know, the, the, I, su- I suppose the big difference, Steph, is it's not in the batting. Um, the fielding is perhaps just a, a little bit below where it should be for some of the teams, uh, and they're working on it. And the pace of the bowling is, is no what you'd call, you know, we're so used to pace in the game as such. But uh, what they make up for uh, is, is their willingness. Um, the fact that they've just, you know, gone whole hog for this tournament, it's just been outstanding. Uh, and the batting side of it, some of the batting skills are, are, are sublime. They really are. My shining light has been the West Indies. I mean, they've come to this Cricket World Cup and they've beaten New Zealand and they've beaten England. They're two from two, sitting just behind Australia on the table due to run rate. Um, And the thing I love about them, they love playing the game. They're so good to watch. They are. When they're winning, uh, they're great great TV, aren't they? They're just fantastic. And if you're at the ground, you can hear them. You watch them, they're bubbly. Uh, and, and, you know, they will continue to do that while they're winning. I mean, most tides do, but they do, they do winning better than most, you're right. Um, and, and they've got two wins under their belt from two games that most people thought they'd have lost. Mm. Most people would have thought they would have lost to New Zealand. Most people would have thought they would lose to England. So instead of being 2-0, and 0-2, oh, uh, oh I should say, they're 2-0, which puts them in a really handy position. And what it effectively means from our point of view is we need them to keep on winning. Yes. Um, you know, we need the West Indies now, and they've still got, they're going to play sides now that they will beat. They'll beat Bangladesh. Um, they will probably beat Pakistan. Uh, they'll go real close against South Africa. So from, from our point of view, we need, um, the way I read it, Australia and the West Indies keep winning and us to battle for the other two places. Yeah, I sort of worked out you can probably, you can make the four by dropping one. I mean, not not everyone's going to go through unbeaten. So one loss, two loss perhaps, but you'll need others to have two losses as well and run rates. You just don't want that. So we need to win from here on in. We take on India today. It's Eden Park in Hamilton. And the last time they met, yes, India had a win against the New Zealand side. Um, they're sort of coming at it slightly differently. New Zealand have had an extra game. India had a very easy win against Pakistan. How do they shape up against each other? Well, look, I, I'm a bit worried about it because of that win. They trended better um, in that series as it went on, I think, at John Davies Oval in Queenstown. So, And then I, I, they, they did what they had to do, albeit their batting was uh, just a little bit shaky against Pakistan, but they, they did what they had to do there to win. So they were pretty comfortable when they left the ground, I know that, but the, the problem uh, I see from our point of view is that um, our, our bowling staff worries me. You know, mm. it, it just uh, our ability to get people out, our ability to restrict uh, just hasn't been there. And, and that means uh, we uh, are always putting extra pressure on our batters, and, th- and that is a worry. Uh, and that's, that's how I see the game today, really, uh, whether our bowlers can step up and get some early inroads. Uh, this, this Indian top six is as good as any in the tournament when you look at Mandana, uh, Harman Prikor, Deepthi Sharma, Mitali Raj, Snerana and Pooja Vitraska who put the runs on the other day, uh, they're punishing, they're dangerous. Uh, so I, I kind of figure it's who bats best out of their top six and our top six of Bates, Devine, Kerr, Satterthwaite, Green and Martin. It, it's pretty much where it is to me. I, I'm not sure that their bowling attack is magnificent either. Uh, so it's batting a bit against batting for me, and who comes out on top? 
Amelia Kerr's just been an absolute uh, godsend in the batting stocks, but have we lost Amelia Kerr as a threatening bowler as a consequence of, I don't know if her focus has changed on batting? She she was world-class spinner. Have we seen her dip off a bit, or have the bats, uh, the batters figured her out a bit? No, I think it's a great observation, Steph. Uh, last World Cup, she batted 7, 8, 9, mm. uh, and her focus was really to be our number one leg spinner. Uh, she has admitted very, very publicly that his focus in between World Cups and of late has been the batting side of things, and she's been given this extra responsibility to bat at three, which would suggest she has to spend more time on her batting. And I think it has been to the detriment of her bowling. Uh, so that is an issue for us in, in that regard. I mean, she is a world-class all-rounder, but the batting side of it now appears to be a lot stronger than the bowling aspect of it, which weakens our bowling. Again, it weakens uh, the way we, we go about that. So, look, she's incredible young talent. I mean, I interviewed her the other day for television. Honestly, she still looks like a, a young schoolgirl. She's mm-hmm. just so fresh-faced and so young-looking. You kind of take a double take to, to say she's one of the powers of world cricket, one of the powerhouse players of world cricket uh, and the women's side of things. It's quite quite amazing. But uh, she's got a lot on her today uh, as the Bates, uh, Bates, Divine and, and Satterthwaite, the top four there. Uh, they're going to do the bulk of the damage. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, they're going to Hamilton. Hamilton was uh, the scene of that 600-run game the other day between Australia and England. It's good batting surface, good outfield, so there's no reason why they shouldn't bat well. Uh, but they've, they've got this thing now, uh, they look at points table pressure. Both these sides uh, look at points table pressure, really, because um, India know full well that most sides are going to beat Pakistan, which they did in Game 1. I really hope that Leah Tahuhu, uh, for a long time, has been uh, earmarked as the fastest bowler in women's cricket or, or right up there. She hasn't ripped through a team for a little while, Smithy. Um, what a day to do it today. If she could just knock off, as you say, this dangerous top order of India, if we can get them sort of 23 for two or 31 for two or something like that, we need a bowler to grab a game for us, don't we? Yeah, look, she's been disappointing, uh, very disappointing, uh, I think it's fair to say, um, to the point where they might not pick her today. I, I'm looking at the mix, and you know, uh, on form, she doesn't deserve to be in the side. Mm. On experience, uh, they may go for that because it's just such a very big game and they can hopefully trust the fact that she'll, she'll have sorted out a few issues. Bowling way too short, uh, getting picked off, um, I, I, as you like, the pace. Uh, and the, the nature of the pitch is you just cannot be short uh, unless you're very, very quick. Uh, she's not that quick, so unfortunately that she's getting knocked around the park. So whether they go with Leah Tahuhu, whether they bring in Hayley Jensen, uh, I think they've got to stay with Jess Kerr because Jess Kerr's turning into quite a valuable all-rounder for them. Uh, she's got a, a nice control over what she's doing and, and, and like her sister, you know, she deserves to be clearly in the side. Um, and then you've got Frankie Mackay. Frankie Mackay is an interesting selection. Will they trust in Frankie Mackay? I think they've got to go experience today. Uh, so I'd be going with Frankie. Um, and, and then um, that means that uh, the young girls, uh, Jonas and Plummer, will probably miss out again today. But they've still, they've still got to sort that bowling side of things out. If they bowl like they have in the first two games, India could well score 300. Uh, I just had the panel with Sam Ackerman and James Regan. Uh, it's, good, it's a good little segment there, the Dilmati panel. Mm. I, I chucked to them, Smithy, overnight, the ICC. It looks like they're going to ratify that Mancad is now a legitimate form of dismissal. I can see division and people saying that's ridiculous or that's great. Where, where do you stand on the Mancad? Well, I don't like it. 
I, I never have liked it. I think it's, I, I think it's, a, it's just a cheap shot, really. Uh, to be fair, batters have got to learn that you can't crib ground, um, you know, and that's been accepted over the years. And if you're going to do it on a, a regular basis, then I suppose you'd be, you, you deserve to be punished for it because effectively you're cheating by getting a head start. Um, so if you're out of the ground when the bowler's still in the bowler's hand, that's your problem and you've got to run with it. So they'll have to learn to do that. But it just doesn't seem right to me morally. It's because I'm, man, I'm old. I'm 60-something. It's something I've never, ever enjoyed watching happen. It's something I'd never, ever endorsed on the field. If I was a captain and uh, someone got run out like that, I would, have, I would well, with my upbringing, I would have to call them back and say, I'm sorry uh, to my teammates, but uh, that's not the way we do things. We'll get them out properly, if you, if you don't mind. So for all of a sudden to become a legal thing, look out for the game. Look out, um, look out now when you're watching cricket on television or if you're watching at the park. Keep a very, very close eye on the bowler from here on in because they've legitimised something that wasn't in the game and it's going to, it's, it's I think, at times be quite ugly, and it could lead to confrontations on the field of play. Mm. And finally, Smithy, I've had this bit of paper in my pad for, for a, quite a while now. We have Mastermind on our show, and someone picked as their specialist subject the 1992 yep. Cricket World Cup. Right? He got five yep. out of ten. I've been dying to do it with you because you were playing. <laughs> I've been dying yep. to do it with you. Okay. All right. So he, I'm not going to put the clock on you, but just see how you go. Right. New Zealand. Question one. New Zealand won seven matches and lost two. Who were their losses to? Uh, to Pakistan. Correct. Martin Crow batted on one leg in the semi-final. How many runs did he score? Ninety-one. Correct. Oh, you're good. In the opening match of the cup, New Zealand played Australia. Which Australian batter was dismissed for exactly one hundred? David Boone. Correct. In the round robin game against Zimbabwe, who opened the batting for New Zealand? Uh, good one, good one, good one, good one. Um, I think um, uh, I'm going to say Great Batch and Latham, but I think Crow might have been in there. I'll go Great, great Batch and Latham. Go, Great Batch and Latham, and you're correct. Oh, you've got a clean slate so far. Uh, Martin Crow was the leading run scorer for the tournament with 456. Who was second with 437? Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Um, I'm going to go um, Javid Mendad. Oh, geez, you're good. <laughs> geez, you're good. Uh, New Zealand provided the second highest wicket taker. Who was it? Second highest wicket taker in the World Cup may well just have been, and this is one I will get wrong here. Um, it may well just have been Willie Watson. No, Chris Harris. Chris Harris. Oh, Harry. Harry, sorry, Harry. <laughs> um, how many cricket World Cups had been played prior to 1992? Right, let me go. Uh, I think they started in 75, 75, 79. That's two. 83, three. 87, four. Um, yeah, I'm thinking four, and we said we have one in 1975, 79, 83, 87, four. Four is correct, yes, and we've got three more to go. Name one of the umpires that stood in the 92 Cup final. David Shepherd? No, no he can't have, because England was playing. No, David Shepherd? No, 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 no. Brian? No, England, were play- England were playing, so uh, there'll be an, um, an Australian umpire 
and maybe um, Venkat. No, look, Brian Aldridge and Steve Buckner. How about that? Well, there you go. They didn't get that. You've got to excuse me for that. Because we got knocked out in the semi-final, I was slightly hammered in the stand. <laughs> and the final question, who captained England at the World Cup? Uh, who captained England at the World Cup? Uh, Graham Gooch? Yes. Well, there you go. You got eight out of yep. ten, and our contestant got five. Yeah. So you're through to the final, uh, and we'll call you back <laughs> next week. <laughs> just see me. Just send me the prize. Yeah. The hell with it. You happy with some Whopper vouchers from Burger King? <laughs> yeah. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Who wouldn't be happy with Whopper vouchers? Yeah. Brilliant, Smithy. Enjoy your day, mate. Lovely chatting to you. Yeah, cheers, Steph. See you, mate. Ian Smith there um, commentating for Sky Sport and a reminder we will have ball by ball commentary here from about one we we'll be leaving uh, this show and heading off to our Wellington and Christchurch studios to bring you all the action from Hamilton we'll be back in just a moment Summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ it's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. Yeah, and it's a big thanks to Greyhound Racing New Zealand each week. Uh, all of the shows, uh, the breakfast, the morning, the afternoon and the run home, we are trying to raise funds for four New Zealand charities. Uh, and thanks to Greyhound Racing, uh, Greyhound New Zealand, they're giving us the funds to do that. So I'm announcing both Smithy's, uh, his bet for today and my bet for today as well. And both are today. Uh, Smithy's one is at Cambridge and it is in race five. It is number eight, Thrilling Polly. In fact, it goes at one thirteen. So we'll still be on air. We'll still be in studio here. So I'll keep my beady eyes open for that. Uh, Strong box eight. It's had two starts from box eight uh, for a win and a placing um, at Cambridge. Uh, it's only paying a dollar seventy. That's okay. That's okay um, because if anything we've learned with these charity bet things is, you know, I used to go for sort of the nine dollar shot and just keep getting ducky, ducky, ducky. So because we're raising or trying to raise money for charities, um, small fish are sweet, aren't they? Small fish are sweet. So that is the morning's. One, uh, number eight, Thrilling Polly in race five, and that goes at uh, 1.13, 1.13. My one, the afternoon's bet, uh, paying much more than the seventy. Come on, guys. Mine's paying a eighty, <laughs> $1.80. And I'm going to Addington, uh, race five. That's at five to six this evening. Uh, Sapporo Bale, a Craig Roberts trained dog. Um it's had 11 starts in its career, and the thing I like is nine of them have been here at Addington, so it very much knows the surroundings. And in its nine starts, it's had six wins and two placings. So it's a pretty good strike rate, including it has won its last four. Just just going, jumping the lids, flying. 2.95, the short distance, the rail, the rail draw, box one, red rug, Sapporo Bale, get up. Our bet is on the $1.80 Sapporo Bale. So a big thank you to Greyhound Racing New Zealand for helping us help the charities. And believe you me, the charities are in desperate need at this time. The last 
couple of years we have had, um, they have really struggled, but they are strong and they're carrying on, but they need funds. So anything we can do um, to help those charities along um, makes everybody feel good. So thanks to Greyhound Racing for their support on that. Yeah, uh, and of course the morning show uh, charity is Women's Refuge, which is a huge, massive course. What about uh, the afternoon show? We are Butterbean Motivation with Dave Latelli down there in Monaco. Um, does amazing, the food parcels that guy bangs out. And the thing I like about him, they don't just send out tin tomatoes, bulk pasta. That's They get fresh chicken, fresh mm. meat, um, good quality food for their, for their people. Um, and if there's a family of – he's providing families of 12, you know, a three-bedroom house with a family of 12. And so they'll get 400 bucks worth of groceries for the week. Um, it's hard, man. Um, and I've been down in his warehouse and looked at their shrinking stocks. They get fantastic uh, private support, very little um, – Political support um, from Ministry. He's doing, he's doing wonderful things. He's actually made the final three of the New Zealander of the Year, um, and anyone that gets nominated for the New Zealander of the Year is well worthy. I have no doubt. But um, Dave Latelli, what a great man! Um, so really happy to help his charity. Yeah, no, absolute great New Zealander. Uh, he is. It is amazing what he's done for his community. I've seen lots of news stories, obviously, over the last few years, uh, just how selfless he is, how dedicated he is uh, to health and well-being, and you know, and trying to really make a difference in his community. So, uh, all power to people like that. And of course, uh, we actually have an exciting announcement, Staffy. Have you? We do. What have you got? This uh, is news to me. I know. Uh, our good friends at Oppo. Uh, have given us more tickets to give away for the uh, cricket Women's Cricket World Cup today, New Zealand versus India. We have five double passes to give away. Uh, of course, it's 2 p.m. in Hamilton, so if you're around, get along. All thanks to our friends at Oppo to win, text TICKET, that's TICKET, just TICKET, to double eight double three, and you could win one of five double passes. So the first five people that text TICKET to double eight double three, you're going to get a double pass to the cricket. Now it starts in two and a half hours. So, I mean, even if you're in Auckland and you can get there, get there because it's rare as hen's teeth to be able to go to these games. It's very, <clears throat> I think they're allowed um, 10%, 10% audience figures there, something like that. Um, and they're just so. It's really good. I would love to go to a game. If, I, if if public were allowed to go, I would go. If I had the day off, hang on, I finish here at... Don't you do it, Staffy. I'm getting my phone out. Don't you do it. it. It takes me about an hour 20 to get to Hamilton from Auckland. So I finish here at 125. I would be 225, say 3 o'clock at the late. I'd miss the first hour. Okay, I thought for a second you were going to stitch me up and be like, Swinks, you're doing the last half hour. Well, here's a, if you're offering, mate. Absolutely well, not. Can you not do yet. from 1 to 125? <laughs> you can do the chat with Daniel McCarty. <laughs> this is all part do about you, developing yourself in the radio industry. I appreciate that. You'll definitely hear that uh, very shortly with uh, my Porsche Woodman interview. But uh, <laughs> no, you're, you're here to 125, mate. <laughs> oh. Well, so I don't mind missing the first hour. I tell you what, if only four of you text, I'm going to be text five. So text us on double eight double three if you can get to Hamilton for the two o'clock game, even if you're a little bit late, but not much late because you don't want to miss the start. As you heard Ian Smith say, our top six batting versus their top six batting. That's what it looks like. It's a battle of batting. There's going to be runs galore. Um, 
and if Susie Bates, Sophie Devine, Amelia Kerr, and the others um, can fire, um, there's not much life sport you can go to at the moment. We're seeing the rugby in empty stadiums. We can't watch the Warriors here. Um, games are being postponed. Uh, you can't go to the netball, which is starting up shortly. You can't go to the cricket unless you text ticket to us. And the folk at Oppo have five double passes. Let's see if anyone. I'm just going to open up the text machine. See, no one's texting. I'm going to text. I'm going to text. No one texts. I'm going to take one of those double passes. Oh, geez, all those text messages just left. Oh, I need to talk to Logan about. I run my own texts. Um, he's just he's just taking them all off me. So I was going to read some, but I can't read any. So yeah, um, do please. Do please text in double eight double three the word ticket and get yourself along. Are kids at school at the moment? I think they are, aren't they? They are, but I mean, a day at Seddon Park is great. I I went to university. Pull them out of school at two o'clock. Yeah, right. That's an education there, especially for uh, you know young girls wanting to you know find some inspiration there. There's some awesome athletes on display in this uh, women's cricket World Cup, as we've heard both from the panel and from Smithy today. Uh, honestly, a day at Seddon Park. If you're going to be anywhere in Hamilton, that's where I would be today. What better? What what better? What's the weather doing? And I'm just going to have a quick look at what what the weather's doing. And uh, it's Hamilton. I'm looking for, isn't it? A, a Hamilton weather forecast tells me because uh, just it's it's a great viewing ground too. I've been there a number of times for the cricket. Look at this. It's currently 24 degrees. It's up to 27 at two o'clock. It's just beaming sun all the way to sunset at 7:46. Get yourselves to Hamilton. Go and support these White Ferns. They are potential world champions. It's the World Cup. It's in New Zealand. And the crew at Oppo are giving you a chance to get a double pass. Text in the word ticket, double eight, double three, and we'll get you along to that game. We are going to have a break for news after the news. Uh, Logan's chat with Portia Woodman. And then I've actually just got to go and do a quick recording for something else. <laughs> something else for another fantastic charity, actually, Pet Refuge. Pet Refuge. Um, so hopefully I'll be back in time for Stumped by Smithy slash Staffy. And if it's not, I might be Stumped by Sam Hewitt because I can see him out in the office. So I'm just going to go and tell him if I'm not back by quarter two, um, it's all on him, and he will hate that. He will, oh, I don't know enough, I don't know enough. But for now, um, let's go and catch up with the news, sport and weather. Jenkins roaming wide with her. Oh, Mazzelli gets rid of Portia Woodman, throws it oh back no. to her. Uh-oh. Open field, Portia Woodman could go 60, 70 metres here. McGovern chasing Woodman, who surely will back himself to the corner. Too much gas. And the first try of Super Rugby Opiki pre-season goes to who else but Portia Woodman with a 60 metre burst. Super Rugby Opiki finally gets underway tonight. Joining us on SNZ Mornings is high-flying winger Portia Woodman from the Chiefs Manawa. To start things off, Portia, just how big of a moment is the launch of Super Rugby Opiki for women's rugby right now? Yeah, really good. Really excited. We've got our um, first game of the season tomorrow, um, and we've got Scottish captains on, so team pumped, um, and just all really able to get out there. Nice. Uh, you did. I mean, it's great that we finally have Super Rugby Opiki getting underway. Uh, but, Chiefs Manawa, you did manage to get that preseason game going against uh, Matter 2 uh, last weekend. That haka, though, that you performed, uh, who put that together? Because that was awesome. Um, that was made by Aura, um, who 
but in big part of um, Waikato, and he's just been an awesome influence for us to kind of get out there and create this. He did this um, haka for the chief men's originally, and then allowed us the opportunity to do it as well. Right. Uh, I'd love to know, if you know, what's the meaning behind it? Um, oh, man, you've caught me off guard right now. <laughs> um, he told us. It is about, it brings in the gods, Ruamoko, Tumatawinga, um, pretty much sets a challenge, gets everyone ready to kind of go into battle. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I did see one comment uh, on YouTube, a video about it. Uh, they stumbled on their haka from watching Super Rugby highlights. So that's just cool that people can stumble on uh, watching uh, the women's rugby like that. Gave them goosebumps. Very cool to see the Wahine show in incredible mana. Exciting times. Now, of course, just I really want to know, just how big of a moment is the launch of Super Rugby Opaki for women's rugby right now? Yeah, to get this off the ground, it's been pretty huge. Um, NZIU have been working tirelessly in the background, you know, juggling things with old COVID mates hanging around. So to get this up and going um, and get the preseason out of, uh, out of the way last week and then hopefully with tomorrow's game going away as well, it's really exciting. Um, it's huge for women's rugby to kind of have that next step um, after FCC and the squad or the group of girls just below the Blackburn squad. So it's a bit really awesome competition to bridge that gap um, and really exciting for, for for this year and the future future years to come. Yeah, I, di- I want to get into that more later on in this interview, but the Chiefs Manawa squad uh, has been named, features some pretty exciting names, especially for fans uh, that follow the World Rugby 7 circuit. What is, what's this camp been like for you heading into the season? Um, it's been, you know, we've had to, had to adapt and change um, a lot over this last couple of months, last month, I guess. Um, but for me, we've, we've lived in bubbles before with end of year with um, Olympics with sevens and stuff. So for me personally, it's, it's not a big deal, but um, it's just also managing different girls from different levels, from clubs, from FCC, having played rugby, having not played rugby. So there's, there's just different levels within our team, and, and we're lucky we have a management that are really able to manage each load, um, adapt training, adapt um, programming all to what each player needs. So really, really lucky with our environment, and I think we're all off to a good start so far. Yeah, nice. I, I mean, there's a really good mix there. And you sort of mentioned, you know, there's professional players, but we've got the, you know, the, the rugby players that are, you know, they're doing it. They get a little bit of money, perhaps, but, you know, they're juggling so many things. They've also got a part time job. They might be juggling, you know, motherhood as well. So when those players come in, when you have someone like yourself with the, the background and the experience in the professional game that you have, do you provide any kind of support to those players? I guess we try to model what we what we know and what we know works and what what we feel might help each player. But we we kind of leave them to do to figure things out on their own. Like you say, we've got mums who have babies and trying to figure out that workload at home. We have teachers. We have um, so many people who also have a professionalism outside of rugby. And like you say, with um, for me, I just have to focus on rugby. So it's, it's, it's different circumstances right across the board. And I know what works for me, and I try and model that. And if people want to pick up on that, then that's fine. If they don't, they want to figure out their own way to catch the pie as well. So we're really lucky that we have some girls who have been through it all and to kind of show and, I guess, portray what we um, what works well for us is, is something else for the new girls. Right, so uh, looking ahead to your opponent, uh, of course, yeah, you have just played them. Uh, 
How did you think you went against the Mount of Two last weekend? Any big takeaways from that game that you've been working on this week that you hope will give an edge when you face them uh, on Thursday? I think what we really noticed in that game was that our forwards did such a great job up the middle that there was some definite space out wide. So looking forward to kind of utilising some of that. Um, and I think the cool thing was is we didn't really um, get to portray our full potential. So looking to kind of head into that zone. Um, you know, girls working hard through the middle create the space out wide and then we can just create and play some awesome free-flowing rugby. Speaking of that, uh, you picked off an awesome pass there last weekend and when you were making that dash <laughs> down the field for the try line, what's going through your head in a moment like that? Well, my first thought was I missed that bloody tackle <laughs> and then and then I was in the right place, I guess, um, to get that little pass. But um, that run, I'm just trying to think of not getting caught and if I can run that long of well, however long, I think it was like 70 metres, that was a long way, so just trying to get there as, far, as fast as I can. Because <laughs> when I was watching it, uh, I was like, you got the ball and you got in clear space, and I was like, oh, here we go. Porsche Woman is putting on the sevens mode. So when you go between sevens and 15 aside, uh, do you have to tweak the way you play on the wing at all? Um, yeah, without a doubt. Um, I think for me, obviously there's a difference of, players and space on the field, but even strategically, with 15, you're having to think about the kick a lot more. Um, you're trying to think about what the opposition are wanting to do in different phases and different areas of the field, and I'm not used to that, having played seven the majority of my life, so um, when we're in the 22, I have to look to kind of um, get up and chase the ball, or you know, just different parts of the game, different aspects of the field, I have to manipulate or think about what the opposition are trying to do. So it's a lot different in that way. And realising that a space of two to five metres is a big gap in 15. So really trying to attack that space rather than thinking I, um, I've i got to wait for a 10 metre gap because that's not going to happen. So it's, it's quite different and I enjoy that challenge. I enjoy having to switch between the two. I, I know whenever I come to 15, I feel like I learn so much about the pure game of rugby. And, 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 I'm, and I guess with seven, my role is get the ball and run as fast as I can. So it's completely different. Um, you know, for me, I when I first started, it was the same rugby ball, kind of thought it was the same thing, but it's not. So it's something I've learned along, along the years. Uh, of course, on the other wing, you've got Ruby Tui there. So how do, how do you think you'll go against Matter Two this uh, on oh, Thursday? Sorry. Do you, do you see the two of you burning things up on the sidelines there? Sorry, say that again. On the other wing, you've got Ruby Tui. Uh, so between the two of you, that is a lethal combination. Uh, do you see yourself burning up the sideline against uh, the Matatu on Thursday? Um, I think what, what we're really looking forward to is, is with me and Ruby, we haven't played a lot of rugby and to kind of just get some game time. Um, I think with Matatu, we to look at our game last week. They could, you, could, you could totally see some aspects that they could really capitalise on. So it would be great to see that part. But for me and Ruby, it's just any ball we get, we're going to run as hard as we can, and we love that part. So we're just really excited to play that game. <laughs> nice. Uh, one thing I think a lot of people sort of admire about the women's game is just the kind of community uh, vibe that you get from watching you play and then in the post-match interviews as well. What's your message for the for the Wahine Toa at the Hurricanes Pua uh, that had to pull out of round one? Hello. Hey, can you hear me? Oh my gosh, sorry. I think it connected to the bloody van. Oh, van you, that's all right. Can you still hear me though, Portia? Yep, I can hear you now. Okay, no, I'll, I'll just put my uh, question back up. 
So one thing that I think a lot of people enjoy about women's rugby uh, is we see that sort of camaraderie in the community that you have there. You know, we see it in the post-match interviews and all that sort of thing. But uh, what's your message for the Wahine Toa at the Hurricanes Poa that uh, had to pull out of round one? Oh, man, we feel for our girls and that team. You know, we've got, everyone's got a few teammates from either SPC or Sevens and everything there. So, we you know, we, we feel for them. Um, as long as they just get themselves healthy, that's all we, we really care about. And if, if they can get out on the field, um, we'll see you there at some stage. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully we see them soon because, uh, I mean, we just want rugby. COVID sucks. Uh, <laughs> but when, you, when you're when you outside of the Sevens camp uh, with Super Rugby Opaki, you know, are you staying in touch with the team there? Like, you know, right now they're uh, training down the house in Fiji or is it just all business with the Chiefs Manoa? Yeah, we're all checking every now and then because, like you say, they are still our, our teammates um, and they're, they're working hard. Just a few catch-ups, I think, with what a group with our coach and uh, the rest of us Opiki girls who are here playing and he just gives us little updates um, from the girls getting to Fiji and staying at the same hotel we stayed in for our prep for Rio 2016 so and just little updates like that it's pretty cool One thing that I really wanted to ask you Portia uh, what's the legacy that you'd want to leave behind for uh, young Kiwi girls that are thinking of picking up rugby? Um for me, it was an opportunity. Um, I saw a chance to kind of play a game that I know I was, I guess I was born for. Doing track and field and netball beforehand, those sports have helped me into the player I am today. So rugby is a huge opportunity. Whether you're 15, 7, um, it welcomes any body type. And every, every woman, every girl that's out there, to just have a crack at one of them because you'll love it and I'm and I, without a doubt, will know that you'll enjoy every part of it. So it's exciting. You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, it is a massive year ahead for women's rugby. Uh, how do you like to take care of your uh, physical and mental health with such a busy rugby calendar on the horizon for you? I think for me, it's really being present. So um, when we're at rugby, I'm at rugby and I'm full-time thinking, not all the time thinking about rugby, but I'm here to kind of get myself ready for rugby. When I'm at home, I love to be with um, my partner, uh, who's here with me as well. When we're home, it's us two and our daughter, who's mine, and we're with her as much as we can. And, um, you know, we just try and be present, hang out with her if there's time to hang out with my nephews and stuff. That, that kind of fills my cup. So, mentally, that's huge for me. Uh, last question, Portia. Uh, the any medium to long term concerns uh, there from the New Zealand Sevens or Fifteen aside, uh, having very limited, uh, meaningful game time coming into this year. Um, I think with Sevens, we we're still looking to get into uh, a two of the World Series with Canada and France, um, and then we'll, we'll probably chuck in a few. Um, games against each other and, and try and find other players as well. Um, with Super Rugby, I was 15 aside, they've got their Pac-4 uh, tournament uh, midway through the year, which is really exciting. So hopefully with a few different tournaments thrown in there for both both teams, we'll get enough comp going in before the big events that come up on the, later on in the year. Awesome. Uh, Porsche Woman, thank you so much for your time. All the best with the Chiefs Manawa and for the rest of the year. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Portia. Enjoy the rest of your day, mate. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.
That was Porsche Woman and in an absolute rookie mistake there, Staffy. I yes. play the unedited version of that interview. Catch the full proper version of that on our <laughs> podcast channels on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. But of course, it is now time for Stump by Staffy. So call in now, 0800-150-811. It's jackpotted up to $100. TAB vouchers and the sleep drops. We'll be right back. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, it is tumped. It is time for Stump by Staffy, and we're going to have to run through this quickly. After yesterday's fumbled attempts, the TAB vouchers have jackpotted up to $100. That's up for grabs today, along with some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. Joining us now at the crease is John from Christchurch. Uh, John, we have three sporting categories, mate. If you answer all three questions correctly, you win it all. But if you get a question wrong, it's over to Staffy for a chance to knock those bales off. Today's topics are track and field, motorsport and baseball. Take your pick. Uh, let's go uh, motorsport because hopefully staff won't know anything about it because I don't either. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> All right. Reverse mate. psychology. All right. We'll see how you go. We might have to just do one question here and then hold the line and we'll go to ad break. But first question, uh, Scotty McLaughlin had a massive week last week uh, claiming his first IndyCar victory. But prior to the switch, how many consecutive Supercars championships did he win? Uh, two. Did he win two? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket In a field. row. Over to you, Staffy. Uh, four. One of the worst things <laughs> I have ever seen done three. on a cricket field. <laughs> Yep, you are right, John. <laughs> it is actually three. Hold the line, mate. Yeah. We're going to go to ads, and we'll be back with the rest of the game. Good work. And right back into Stumped by Staffy. Really quickly, John, uh, from Christchurch, we still have you on the line. In Formula One, how many yep. championships has Lewis Hamilton won? <laughs> Six. One of the worst things Over I have Staff. ever seen done on a cricket field. I was going to say six as well, so I'll go <laughs> I'll go seven. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right <laughs> in the slot, and away it goes. You saved me, brother. That's it, Stumpy. We don't have time for another question, so that is going to jackpot to 150 tomorrow. Thank you for playing, John. All the best. Enjoy your day, mate. Shot, John. Good on you, fellas. Jeez, mate. Oh, Jeez, lucky he went first. I was going to say six as well. Oh, that was hair racing. Ten seconds away from the news. Coming up after the news, there's a rumour that LeBron James' son could well be heading down under to play in the NBL. We'll find it. Through your workday, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Just gone 12 o'clock as we count down to our ball-by-ball commentary of the White Ferns in the Cricket World Cup taking on India. And do remember... Last time they played, what is it, a couple of weeks ago, India beat New Zealand. We must win this one, and it's going to be incredible listening to this. Uh, Both very batter-heavy, the Indian and the New Zealand side. It's going to be very, very entertaining. Um, We are going across the Tasman now to Sam Phillips, who's a very good rider with the Sydney Morning Herald. And uh, Sam, welcome into the show. Uh, being heard around New Zealand, um, you know what we're ringing you about. You've written a very, very tantalising story about, I want to know about, is it a maybe, is it a probably, that LeBron James' son could end up playing in the NBL? 
Hello, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, look, I would say uh, probably might be a bit of a stretch at this point. It's still a bit early, but um, there is a bit of chatter about yeah whether whether Bronny would be best suited to um, follow the path of Lamelo Ball um, and what he did with the Hawks a couple of years ago and um, Hampton, for example, over over there at the Breakers and and, and several young guys who have skipped college to come and spend a year in the NBL. Um, and yeah, Paul Paul Smith, the owner of the Sydney Kings. Um, Never afraid of sort of putting his uh, his name and, and uh, um, his voice out there, and was happy to say yesterday that yeah, there's only one city big enough for the LeBron and, and for Bronny, and that's uh, that's Sydney. Now, Bronny James, what's it, obviously his pedigree is fantastic, but he'll always be LeBron mm. James' son. How does he go mm. on the court? Is he good? Yeah, he's good. He's good. I, I certainly don't think he'll be um, taken number one like LeBron was famously by the the Cavaliers many years ago, but. He definitely looks like he'll be part of a, a sort of 2024 NBA draft. Um, whether he's sort of uh, top 10 even, I would doubt. I would say he'd be right now. He'd probably be sort of mid-20s at this point. And, and whether that's, again, just based on his pedigree and his potential, I'm not, I'm not really sure. But, um, yeah, look, if, you, if you're anywhere, getting drafted anywhere in the, near the first round of an NBA draft, you're a pretty handy player. So, um, yeah, it would certainly make an impact to uh, any NBL team he, he does if he does uh, make his way out here. What's the appeal for these young guys to come down and play in this Australasian league? Is it, is it to, to sort of fast-track their way to the NBA by dodging college? Or what, what is their reason for doing it? I think what we've seen is Lamelo, for example, is a good example. Yeah, is, is a very good example of someone who what, I remember watching him play um, down at Wollongong a couple of times, and it was not like he was. Um, um, it was evidently clear that he was going to be the the superstar that he is now. Um, but it's quite clear that the impact of playing against grown men at that age has on someone's development. It does fast track there ability to be NBA ready as soon as they enter the league. Um, Luka Doncic obviously played multiple years in Europe um, before he made his way to the Mavericks and is now one of the best players in the league. So uh, on top of that, they're able to earn a bit of money, um, heaps of money, certainly not the amount of money that they earn um, in the NBA, but that's always nice too for guys from, I suppose, a bit rougher backgrounds than what um, Bronny's from. But yeah, it definitely, it's, it's a matter of, developing your skill set against grown men rather than against um, kids your own age like you would in the American college system. Now, of course, LeBron James is not getting any younger, and I heard him say the last thing he wanted to achieve in his playing career was to play with his son. So is there, ridiculously, a chance that LeBron, because he doesn't need the money, so it's not about having to afford him, but just saying, why don't you two come down and play for play for the Sydney Kings or, uh, no, play for the Breakers. You know, that'd be awesome. <laughs> play for the Breakers. Is there a chance that, uh, would that be a carrot that someone would dangle to him? So, you know, you can be on the same playing roster as your son, which you've expressly said you'd like to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, I said to Paul yesterday, do you really think there's a chance that it would be a package deal? Or would it just be LeBron coming out here to watch his son play? And he said, no, like the, the chat is wherever he goes, um, wherever Bronny goes is what LeBron will follow and he wants to play with him. He wants to teach him the, the ins and outs of becoming an NBA star. So, um, yeah, look, it, I wouldn't be blown away. If, oh, sorry, I would be blown away if, if LeBron James was wearing uh, purple and gold of, of the City Kings rather than the Los Angeles Lakers colours. But, um, yeah, certainly wouldn't be out of the, the realm of possibilities at this point because he does 
really want to finish his career, whether it's here, whether it's in the NBA, playing alongside his son, which would be pretty amazing achievement um, in itself. So how old is Bronny James, the son? And, and, and so, so what, what year are we targeting that potentially he could come down and play in our league? So I'm pretty sure he's uh, he's 17. I'm pretty sure he's a, he's a sophomore or a junior right now. He's got maybe one year left of... Um, one year left of high school, and then he would have to then make a call as to whether whether he goes to college or whether he comes out here. So he, I think it would be around the sort of 2023, 2024 um, season is when he would be looking at him making his way out um, before he then transitions into the NBA. Now, we know there's strong leagues all over the world, like it's strong in Turkey, it's strong in Greece, mm-hmm. um, all through the Asian countries. Is this a really, really big tick for... Um, the vi- not the viability, but but the authenticity of the Australasian league. That on the world stage, this is really highly regarded. Yeah, it's quickly becoming. It, it's probably not if you look through a traditional basketball lens. It's probably not still quite as strong as the as the European leagues. Like the Spanish teams are still quite strong, for example. But it, what it what the NBL has shown in recent years is whether you are um, the Hamptons or the Balls, or whether you're sort of more of a Jay Sean Tate who was playing at the Kings last year and Deddy Lozada was playing at the Kings last year. Um, they've all made their way into the NBA. There's talk that Xavier Cooks is going to do the same thing. He's playing for the Kings right now. So it's becoming a league where for some reason there is something about the way the teams are developing these guys and they're then able to transition into their dream, which is, is being NBA players. Whereas in Europe, it's more about team success, etc. Whereas over here, it does seem that you're allowed to sort of run your own race and do what you need to do to get yourself ready to be an NBA star. And, and the NBL therefore leverages um, a bit of that star power. Like the NBL is going is going well, it's going okay. But if LeBron's son, um, even without LeBron, was here, it would they would sell out. They would sell out Coos Bank, Bank Arena every week. So. Um, that's what the league needs. It's not sort of one of the strongest sports in this country, and and I'm sure I'm not quite sure how, where, where it stands over there. But um, yeah, the league's happy to trade off a bit of, um, yeah, investing in these individuals for for some publicity. And and the we'll just look at the NBL in general. Where are the hotbeds? Like we know um, Perth have an amazing support base, um, amazing following, always really really good crowds. On the um, eastern coast, where are the strongholds of basketball? I'd say uh, up up north. It's very it's surprising, but Cairns is a very very popular team. It's probably because they've only got them and the Cowboys up there, North Queensland Cowboys, um, Melbourne. Obviously, with United and Phoenix, they've got a bit of a rivalry there. The, the Kings here, that they, they really are starting to get a bit of a foothold. It, in Sydney, Sydney's a bit of a fickle town where if you don't have much success, you won't get many fans through the gates. But they, they really are starting to pick up nine or 10,000 at every game, which is a really good effort. Um, but yeah, I would say Melbourne is probably the uh, my best attended and the NBL is still forefront of mind there, regardless of how those teams are going. Um and then Sydney would probably be number two, but the the towns that that don't have um, as many sporting teams as, as like like Cairns and like Perth, they really are one of the big teams. And, and it's um, during the summer, it's probably as well supported in those cities as, as Big Bash is. And, and Big Bash has been a, a revelation here in the last sort of decade.
Yeah, it really has. And the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers, um, I think it's a hideous name, but by the by, because <laughs> yeah. we don't even know what they are. I think they're jumping ants or something, aren't they? Um, yeah. yeah. Has, has that been a yeah. successful integration for them into the league? Yeah, they definitely have made a, a, a mark. And, and the fact that they have been, they're on sort of the cusp of the um, of, of playoffs. They're only, I think, a game or two behind the Kings at this point. Um that certainly helped. Um, and Tasmania is just absolutely desperate for any professional sport. They've been starved for years, and that's why finally they're really ramping up their push for um, an AFL team. But I think any that, that the NBL was smart to go down there because they are successful because there really is no other choice for Tasmanians. They, they've, um, yeah, as I said, been starved for decades. And the first team in there, like the Jack Jumpers, despite their name, was always going to be well-supported. <laughs> And I have to ask you about the Breakers and Australians' view on the Breakers. Um, I, I, I feel like we're forever saying they're the most affected team by COVID. They haven't been home for years and years, but mm-hmm. they're domiciled there. Um, it's, it, I, I just feel like the supporter base here back in New Zealand is a little bit like we're, we're tired of these sorts of excuses or, or reasons, maybe not excuses, but maybe reasons. Um, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. Is this a dangerous season for the Breakers, who for so long, you know, championship, finals, if we didn't win the final, we were in the final. Um, we're winning championships. We've got banners in the in the stadium back here that we haven't been able to go to for two years. Do you think within that club they've got the bounce-back ability to, if we get back to some normalcy next season, do you think they can do it? And do you think it's important they do it for the league on a whole? Yeah, the league needs the breakers. They are a, a rich part of the league's history. And I think what you'll see is they are, as you as you well know, they are a, a, an organisation with a, with a lot of history of success. And that goes a long way in re-establishing um, that success in, in the long term. And I think, look, I, I'm sure over there you guys are very sick of hearing about, um, as you say, uh, excuses of, of guys being away. And that's not easy for them being away from their... Um, their home and their city and their stadium. But I think the one advantage the Breakers always had is regardless of how good or bad they were, playing over there was always, always a massive challenge for any team, no matter how good they were. So, look, if they're able to get back to their home base and set up, and, and they'll probably will need some sort of a roster overhaul, I have no doubt, especially in the NBL, it's, 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 a, it's a league with a lot of turnover. It won't take long before they're back on the cusp of, of playoffs, I'd say. Hey, brilliant, Sam. Always uh, great to chat to you. Thanks for um, thanks for the comments, and uh, I'm I'm pretty excited that uh, little Bronny, uh, he's probably bigger than me, shouldn't call him that. <laughs> LeBron Junior. Bronny James could well be heading down under. If he does, we'll get you on regularly. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us and giving us the NBL update. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. There is Sam Phillips from the Sydney Morning Herald on the Sydney Morning Herald. And, of course, the NBL all live on Sky if you're into your basketball. How amazing would that be? How amazing would that be? I remember when um, the younger people weren't remember. I mean, when Ellery Hanley came down and played in the NRL and he was the rock star of the Northern Hemisphere. Um, that would be amazing. Get LeBron to suit up in the Sydney Kings as well. Like, that'd be fantastic, Logan, to see the James father-son combo in the NBL. Everyone down here, everyone would watch. 
Yeah, that would be just so huge for basketball, both in Australia and New Zealand. Because I mean, you just imagine the Breakers going up against uh, LeBron and Bronny. Like that, we talk about appointment viewing. I would be tuning in for that every weekend. Uh, I was actually working in uh, Sydney back when the whole Lamelo Ball thing happened, and Lavar came down with his whole entourage. They had the cameras and everything because they have their little reality TV series That's as well. Right. A little side note: the I appear in one episode. Oh, go on. <laughs> Accidentally, you Accident- mentioned that. Yeah, I'm in the background there. No, we, we had LeVar there in the studio, and he was great. I mean, he, he cops a lot of flack for being that kind of basketball parent, you know, but he obviously cares a lot about his kids. And LeBron is the same. He wants to make sure that uh, Bronny steers down the right path and, you know, doesn't make – I mean, sure, he's young. He will make mistakes, but he wants to steer him in the right direction make sure that he does have a good career because he – like, the world is at his feet the kind of skill that he has, and he's only in high school right now. Imagine what he will be like just when he comes down to the NBL. Like, LaMelo uh, blossomed so, so much just in that Next Stars program. Mm. Both him and RJ Hampton, they were really, like, ringing endorsements for that program. So having someone like Bronny would just be so huge. And as Sam so rightly put, they wouldn't look too different because they wear the uh, the purple and gold just like the Lakers. So uh, <laughs> LeBron would be right at home in Sydney, man. Oh, and Sydney would love him. Sydney's the right town for the James family to come to. You know, there, there's a, enough glitz and glamour, but um, oh, LeBron will keep going. I think he'd be about 40 by the time, I think he's 37, 38 at the moment. Um, and an amazing thing, I don't know whether you knew this, Logan, he spends a million dollars a year on personal upkeep. This is with his... Um, supplements, his skin routines, his yoga teachers, his personal track, all, all of that, a million dollars a year on making sure his body is in pristine condition. They, they reckon he could play till he was 50 if he wanted to. I mean, if you got that kind of dedication to your craft, you got the sports scientists behind you and the money, you just never know. Uh, but I'm just imagining if he came down to Sydney, yeah, it would be just so huge. But he is quite a charitable charitable person as well as LeBron. You know, he does a lot for uh, school ch- children, especially where he comes from uh, in Akron. He builds colleges and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if he comes down to Sydney, who knows? He might do the same thing there. He might, you know, pick up a club or whatever, donate a bunch, help some, uh, you know, some kids that want to get into the game. I could see LeBron doing something like that if they went to the Kings. They would. And Paul Smith, the owner of the Sydney Kings, he is an ideas man. Mm. Uh, so to get someone like LeBron and Bronny down there, mate, I just he would just be blowing up like his brain would just have so many ideas firing out and oh man I would love to see it mm. oh it'd be amazing it'd be and everyone in New Zealand would watch that game the ratings would go off the hook uh, we're coming up to 20 past 12 we'll be back just after a short break right you'll ever need it's afternoons with Staffy on SENZ Just like I do. Oh, this is 
bit of cameo to get you moving through the afternoon. We're an hour away from heading to uh, Damakati, resplendent in an apricot t-shirt today is Daniel. Um, Under Armour, I think it is. I can just read under on his t-shirt. Hasn't got his headphones on, so he doesn't know we're talking about him. Um, But yes, the cricket will be coming to you in pretty much exactly an hour. We will cross over for a half-hour build-up. I think the toss will be at about half-past. Smithy mentioned when we talked to him earlier on today that, and it's hard to disagree with him, it's our top six batting versus their top six batting, and our bowling has been disappointing. Um, Has been a little bit disappointing, so... I guess when you say it's batting versus batting, potentially the best bowling effort's going to win because you can negate the other side's batting. Anyway, we have got some uh, text messages to get through. Uh, Paul has said he's picking the Dragons to make the eight. He thinks seventh, and that is his roughie. I tell you what, a win against the Warriors this week will set them up very nicely, won't it, for the Dragons. Uh, more Warriors chats too from East Otago, my second favourite province in New Zealand, only because I don't know where it is. Uh, I'm potentially thinking it must be the East Coast. Is that where it's very east? Is that like St Clair? Is that East Otago? Or is it further north up the coastline so it's not Dunedin and it's further north? Tell us, Stu, can you text me, Stu, and just tell me the main town of East Otago? That will that will get me that will get me fired up, but his text says, uh, "Morning, Staffy. The biggest problem with the Warriors last year was their last tackle kicking game. I agree, and I've agreed with that for years. The last tackle kicking options, or the lack of, and at times they couldn't even count. It was super frustrating. However, they can sort it out this year and finish higher up the ladder. Stu East Otago." It's so crucial, isn't it? That last, the fifth tackle option, the bomb, the cross kick, the kick to the upright, and the accuracy of it. We've seen in the past, you know, the halves that have had that game make such a difference to your team. Otherwise, you know, you get six viable tackles. If you haven't got a good kicking game, you've got five. So that that's a loss of about 16.6% efficacy on attack every game every set and they need to sort that out a text has come in saying Smithy don't worry about the takeover bid Staffy won't get any bacon love the show bacon bacon I'd love some bacon right now I'd love some bacon I've got bacon in the freezer at home I'll buy the big pack of bacon and chop it up and put it in freezer packs. It's one dish. Um, what I'm hearing in Wellington, this is from Michael, uh, it's going to be a very good crowd going to the Basin Reserve for the Sunday Cricket World Cup. Interesting. Interesting. That is going to be that is going to be the game that I think a lot of people are looking forward to. I mean, just obviously New Zealand versus Australia, but, you know, Australia just have so many big names with, like, the world number one and two batsmen, Elisa Healy and Meg Lanning. And then, of course, I mean, the superstar, Elise Perry. So there's a lot of challenges there on the line for the White Ferns. And, of course, every game is meaningful. But I feel like this one in particular is probably more meaningful than most. Yes, it is. Uh, And Smithy brought up a good point too, and I I 100% agree with him. We need Australia to keep winning, potentially not that game. But we do need the West Indies to keep – we need the West Indies to inflict losses on the other teams because we've lost. So 
if Australia go unbeaten, that's going to mean we have two losses, and then we start needing to worry worry about run rates and and things like that. There probably will be countbacks for the probably the fourth place. There's probably going to be some tied teams, Logan, and um, so when we get an I say an in inverted commas easier game, we absolutely have to dispatch them. We absolutely have to dispatch them and get our run rate up. Yeah, but the schedule for the White Ferns are their next four games. They're not easy at all. No. They're not easy at all. We're going to have to make one easy, though. We're going to have to formulate a spanking on a team that we probably have no right to, but we have to. I think if that is going to happen, it's going to happen today. Uh, out of Yeah, you know, I think you're right, yeah, actually. Yeah, like they recently played India. That They did a four-match series there. That's the only way I see it happening. I just don't see it happening against Australia, England, or South Africa. No, 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 no. Um, someone here says, Steph, you should go to the White Ferns cricket game. Um, if I can get Logan to finish off for me, that'll be good. Uh, you should go to the White Ferns cricket game, then go across the road to the Super Rugby Opiki Chiefs game. Grant, you've just doubled down and made me very interested. Very interested. Um, okay, uh, we are going to go to some news. And on the other side of the news, uh, there's some big trades happening in the NFL over in the USA. So we're going to be talking to MJ Hurley uh, in about two minutes after our new sport and weather update. Yes, and Sam here bringing you that commentary of the Warriors, uh, which will be fantastic. We have commentary of the cricket starting in about an hour. Dan McCarty feverishly doing his prep, which is fantastic. We are going across to the United States of America now, and we are joined by a Sports Illustrated writer, MJ Hurley. If, if there's any NFL fans out there listening and you want to pose a question um, about these trades or, or your particular team, text them into us on double eight double three, and hopefully I'll get to them before we finish our chat with MJ. But welcome into the show, MJ. Good to have you. Thank you, Mark. It is always a pleasure to be here. Um, now, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. Was, can you just talk us through that trade that Denver have taken Russell Wilson? I, I assume there's a lot more to it than just him shifting teams. What's behind this big move? So Russell Wilson has been a little bit unhappy with the Seahawks for the last few years. Uh, They made a few Super Bowl runs uh, in the middle of the 2010s. So around 2016, they made a couple Super Bowl runs, uh, lost a very famous Super Bowl to the Patriots in horrific fashion by not handing Marshawn Lynch the ball at the one yard line. Uh, And since then, it's gone a little bit downhill. So Russell Wilson kind of wanted out of Seattle. But obviously, with a player of his caliber, um, perennial all-pro contender that he is, it's going to take a lot to get him out of there. There was also the fact that he had a no-trade clause uh, on his contract. So if the Seahawks were going to send him anywhere, he had to approve. So what it came down to was the Broncos were looking at a quarterback. Um, They wanted to improve that position around the Senior Bowl, which is a really big college football showcase uh, where they showcase all the seniors who are graduating and about to go into the NFL draft, uh, the Broncos and uh, Seahawks both found out that Aaron Rodgers was going to be returning to the Packers. I know we'll talk about that later, but Mm. it was very important in the Russell Wilson trade uh, because the Seahawks and Broncos were able to kind of sit down and for two weeks figure out the price on Russell Wilson. That ended up being two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, Noah Fant, who's a really good tight end, Shelby Harris, a really good interior defensive lineman, and Drew Locke, who had been you know, one of the Broncos' good quarterbacks for the last few years. So an incredible haul that the Seahawks got. 
Um, they're probably going to look quarterback in next year's draft class. There's not really anyone of the caliber that they're going to want to go after this year would be my guess. Um, so they'll probably get a veteran filler or they'll go with Drew Locke uh, and look to fill that position next year. But I mean, when you're looking for a replacement and, and you know, a trade package for somebody of that caliber, the Seahawks got a pretty good return, which is all you can ask for when your superstar quarterback kind of wants out of town. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Who's come out best in this deal? Like, um, Denver's given up a lot, a lot. Well, Mark, I think, honestly, and it's rare, and part of it you have to wait for the draft picks, but as of right now, my initial reaction is I think it's a win-win for both teams. Obviously, uh, the Seahawks could come away with a steal in one of the draft picks they get from the Broncos and Russell Wilson could, you know, just have a mediocre few years and then people are questioning the trade. But my initial reaction is, again, the Seahawks get a haul that is worth Russell Wilson and the Broncos get a quarterback to lead their team, which now Denver's going to be a big free agent destination this year. They still have some cap space, so they have a little bit of money to work with and they still have a really good young roster, really good defense, and they've got a few offensive weapons that they can still build around. Um, so if I had to pick a winner, obviously I'm going to pick the Broncos right now. If I have to make a hard and fast decision, cause they get the quarterback, they get the proven asset. Um, but they also have a really hard division to go against. They got to go against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas city, Justin Herbert, uh, in Los Angeles for the chargers, the team I'm covering for SI now. Um, and then they also have Derek Carr. They have to face, uh, in Las Vegas for the Raiders. So, the Broncos knew they had to get a really good quarterback in order to compete in that division. They got what they needed. Um, and at the end of the day, they paid what they were willing to pay for the quarterback they needed. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers, and I wanted to talk to you about quarterbacks. And back when um, I, I particularly remember Brett Favre, Dan Marino, and the, and the team owner said, you guys can play until you don't want to play anymore. And they were so far yep. below their prime but they just kept wheeling them out because they were franchise guys and they kept playing and I thought cost them, particularly Miami and Dan Marino, wonderful quarterback the, the change of the physiology of the modern day quarterback and now this news that Aaron Rodgers at 38, some are saying a two year contract, some are saying a four year contract, when, when does it get to the owner saying look actually mate we want someone younger, someone more athletic um, I I sort of can't get my head around the quarterback and Aaron Rodgers, the story that's just coming out now, sort of adds to my puzzle. Yeah, so, the, and Mark, I do a lot of work for the Green Bay Packers. I've got a decent amount of friends who cover the Packers as beat writers, um, and I've got a few people that I know inside the organization. So, my phone has been a buzz <laughs> with the Aaron Rodgers situation for the last two weeks, to be perfectly honest. I covered the NFL scouting combine um, last week in Indianapolis, and I was hearing a lot of things in Indy. I actually talked to a guy from Denver uh, last week and was able to you know, say for a fact that Rodgers was not going to Denver. So at that point, his choices were pretty much come back to Green Bay or retire. The thing about th that you mentioned is Rodgers may be 38 pushing 39, but he's the back-to-back -back NFL MVP. And in terms of his career, he's playing as good as he's ever played in his career. I mean, 
the the last four years of Aaron Rodgers are just absolutely ridiculous. When you look at it stats wise, compare it to any four year stretch of any quarterback ever. It is just absolutely ridiculous. The things he's doing. So the way green Bay was approaching it, very different from the way some fans were approaching it, but the way green Bay was approaching it is if Rodgers wants to be here, we're going to, we're going to bend over backwards to do everything that we can to bring that man back. They even brought back his old quarterback coach, Tom Clements, who wow. was with the Packers when Rodgers won his first Super Bowl. I mean, they have done everything within their power to bring this man back. Um, what I'm hearing is a two-year contract. Now, initially it was reported a four-year contract. I don't think Rodgers or Green Bay wants to commit to that long because, like you said, he is aging. And although it is more normal nowadays for a quarterback – uh, especially in a, a quarterback-friendly system like Green Bay has, to play longer, that's still, you're committing to the guy playing there until he's 43. So what I'm hearing and what I was expecting the whole time is a two-year deal. Rodgers is going to be the highest-paid football player that has ever touched a football. And they're going to hope that he can play at least two more, two more years at this level. Um, so, you know, that's that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm expecting. Um but at the end of the day, Rodgers is still the best quarterback in football right now. So so if he wants to play for Green Bay, they're going to let him, f- at least for the foreseeable future. I wanted to talk to you about the, the pay scales as well. And, like, the highest paid New Zealand athlete is probably a million dollars a year that, that, that plays our sports. But no one knows. It's so very visible and open. Like I can go onto the New York Yankees website and look up salaries and it'll list all of their players, how much they make. Has that always been around in the US? Is there no, like, is it just different between Australia and New Zealand? No one talks about what anyone earns and no one's allowed to know and all that sort of thing. Is it, is it a requirement that it's very open and transparent about what these athletes are earning? So it's not... It's not necessarily a, a requirement. It's mostly just a norm. Um, since since the National Football League has a salary cap, um, meaning every team has to pay their players, their entire roster, under $208.2 million this year. So because of that, they have to disclose to the league, to the NFL, how much everybody is making. And then just the way you know, sports and reporting on sports and everything has kind of transpired. And and the way that's just become in America, um, it really is just that everybody knows what everybody makes. Part of it is an ego thing. I really do believe. So part of it is Aaron Rodgers wants everybody to know that he's the best. And because he's the best, he's the highest paid. So that's part of it. Like when Patrick Mahomes got his 10-year, $450 million deal, it it was the Chiefs saying, you are the best football player in the world right now, so we're going to pay you the most money. So I think that's part of it. And it's also just everybody likes knowing everything here. And it's, you know, you can blame it on Hollywood. You can blame it on whatever it is. It really is just we like knowing uh, what – people are getting paid and it's also the fans like knowing you know what what resources are my team i'm i'm paying you know thousands of dollars for season tickets to this team um you know and i want to know where that money is going with the what the money is going to what players so it, it really has been that way 
at least my entire lifetime. And I really do think at the end of the day, Mark, it does come down to kind of an ego thing. Yeah, true, true. Uh, I asked listeners for questions. We've got one here. Um, who do you think will start? It's obviously a Washington fan. Who do you think will start as the Washington quarterback this next season? So Washington just traded for Carson Wentz today, um, who was the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. Wentz did not do as well as they had hoped in Indy last year. Um, I imagine because Washington went out and got him today that they want him to be their starting quarterback, but they really do like Taylor Heineke. Um, And I'm a big Taylor Heineke fan. He came from the XFL, which was a startup football league that is now owned by the rock um, that they're trying to get going again in 2023. But Taylor Heineke got his start in professional football in the XFL. um, And that was cut off because of COVID right at the beginning of 2020. So I really like his story. I'm a big fan of his. Um, but at the end of the day, Carson Wentz was a former you know, top pick in the NFL draft. So I, I imagine he will be the starter there. But at the end of the day, they do really like Heineke. And he could potentially give Wentz a run for his money, depending on how bad Wentz looks in the first few weeks. MJ Hurley from Sports Illustrated, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll definitely stay in touch. Cheers again. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. MJ Hurley, Sports Illustrated NFL expert. Uh, brilliant, brilliant insight. It's such an open book sport over there in the States with guard payments and things, isn't it? It's, um, it is an ego thing. I, was, I sort of suspected that what it might have been. Uh, we're coming up quarter to one. Get ready for a workday pick-me-up. This is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Welcome back in. Uh, in the oh, Soon I'm going to tell you what our tips are for our pacing for purpose. The good folk at Harness Racing New Zealand are providing us with a few doleros to put on a couple of horses. I've got mine, I've got Smithy's lined up. And don't forget, if you are a Harness Racing fan, you can join Mick and Greg every Sunday. Sunday is Trot's Day. It's Trot's Talk, 12pm. All the Harness Racing action from across New Zealand. So don't miss Trot's Talk, and that is all thanks to the great New Zealanders. They're great Kiwis at the Harness Racing crew, and I'll be chatting to one of them on my Friday show, actually. Um, but we will... I'll just make sure I've got these picks right, actually. I might have to text Smithy. Make sure I've got this right one for him for the Harness Pacing for purpose. So the details of our charity bets, our charity bets, thanks to Harness Racing, will be coming to you right after this. Stafford, kicking back and talking sport all afternoon. It's Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Can you quite believe we are days away? I think we're about 10 days away um, from the two-year anniversary of our first lockdown. Our first lockdown with coronavirus 19 and at that stage um, I still remember it you sort of thought oh well we're locked down for I think they initially said four weeks it ended up being five Um, no one in their right mind knew what the next two years was going to hold we just thought we'd lock down it'd go away and we'd be back to normal and it's just gone on and on and on and on no one knew there'd be all these different variants and mutations and vaccinations and masks and social distancing all that stuff that's just become part of our part of our um, daily lives with you know everywhere you look these hand sanitizer pumps everywhere everywhere um, and I, I was I was away in the weekend and I walked into a uh, service station and I'd forgotten my mask 
in my car before I went in. So I just said, oh, sorry, I forgot my mask, went out and got it. And I thought, man, it's been two years. How do I keep forgetting my mask? It's, I thought it took, um, doesn't it take 21 days to create a new habit? It's taken me two years and I still haven't got it. I mean, admittedly, I remember most of the time, but I, I actually had forgotten. Uh, but we've got um, our Harness Pacing for Purpose info coming now. It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. Season 2, they're back. They're awesome, Harness Racing New Zealand people. Not only a great sport, exhilarating sport to watch and be involved in, but they are also giving us some money in the Pacing for Purpose as we raise money for our charities, which is just absolutely wonderful for them. Uh, Mornings with Ian Smith. He is going to Cambridge Tonight, race five. I'm just going to have a look at the time. At 7.20 tonight, Smithy has picked out Bollinger. Uh, trained by Mark Purton and Hayden Cullen. Murray um, Mack, Morris McKendry. Do they get better than that? It's drawn four in the uh, in the blue silks with the, with the white stars. Um, it raced last week. I think it was last week in Auckland. Yep. And uh, was runner-up to Akuta, who's a very good horse. Now, Bollinger's had 10 starts for three wins, two seconds and a third. Pretty good strike rate. Um, never raced at this track, though, but it is very successful over the distance. It's paying 2.20 fixed odds for Smithy's pick in his pacing for purpose. Good luck to Smithy's horse, and um, good luck to my horse as well. I'm going tomorrow, actually, Addington, race number one. I love my trotters. I love my trotters, and I found one here that might pay a little bit because it might sneak under the radar. It's a horse called T-Bone Rawhide, not only one of the greatest names in the sport. T-Bone Rawhide, fantastic. Trained and driven by Bob Butt, and I love it when the trainers are the drivers on race night as well. No one knows the horse better than the trainer. Now, it's a bit of a snotty horse, this horse. It, it can break, it can gallop, and in fact, in its, in its last race, it started at $4.15, broke at the start, and never took part. Uh, the race before didn't break, and it finished a really nice second at Ashburton, and the start before that, it broke again. So it's a breaker, but the key is here. Most trots are standing starts, and in fact... Um, T-Bone Rawhide has had 21 starts, 20 of them from a stand. It's only had one mobile start, and it breaks at starts of races. Um, It's got a mobile start. It's got a nice gate at five. I think Bob Butt will just relax it, get it away, because if it can trot the whole way, it's a very, very good horse. So T-Bone Rawhide for me, T-Bone Rawhide, race one, number five, at Addington tomorrow night. Now, Logan, you were just telling me, I was saying it was uh, nearly the anniversary of two years lockdown. You said today's a famous anniversary. What are you talking about? I am talking about the Rudy Gobert moment uh, where he famously ended a press conference and, you know, there was chatter around this thing called COVID-19 that we knew nothing about. He gets up off his chair and he pretends, well, I think he actually does, he sort of puts his hand over all the mics, all the reporters' phones that are there uh, on the desk and walks off. And then I think it just all escalated from there. And about two days later, it was reported that he was COVID positive and then the NBA, the NHL, everything just all shut down. So that was two years ago today. Wow. And I remember Boris Johnson did the same thing and went wandering through a hospital and saying, don't need masks and all that sort of stuff. And and he got COVID as well. Gosh, I can't wait for COVID to be gone from our vocabulary. And it's a when you mention it, it's a historical event. 
not a current event. Uh, but news at one. We'll catch up with Dan McCarty after this. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.